2: These days, everybody wants to be green. I'm not talking about selfies with your favourite houseplant or fair weather football fans. I'm talking frank and honest coffee, sustainably made, supporting local jobs and communities. We are guaranteed Irish and a genuinely greener choice. Frank and honest—you can't fake great-tasting coffee. Available in Centra and Super Value stores nationwide.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Blood and Mud Podcast, the special special investigations unit, Josh. Like an American police procedural, but with more sexy characters, obviously.
2: Much more sexy characters and more sort of inherent morality as well. You know.
1: Yes, but better looking characters as well. Even if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, we're here to. We're going to do a bit of a deep dive on the concussion thing because we had two options. We could. We're on a break and we wanted to do a patron special, uh, and but we're going to do this to the public as well. But anyway, it would be with patrons first. And we had a choice between kind of trying to invent something or do something quite topical. So we did this instead. We had the option of me and you coming on, Josh, and ranting with very little knowledge.
2: Yeah, as I've done for the last five or six years about rugby and head injuries. So I think probably, yeah, probably filled up with that, really aren't just they?
1: A, an ever increasing gradual fume for an hour <laughs> until by the end we were just screaming <laughs> and about nobody gets it. So we figured that probably wasn't the way to go. Some of you be thinking, probably you not. mean it's not gonna be that, oh no. That's what we pay our patron for, but you never know. So what we thought we'd do instead, because as we've said, when we have the uh, Rugby History podcast, we get the prof on. Uh, we, we've said, you know, this country's had enough of experts, but this podcast has not. So we thought we'd get somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. So i would like to welcome from Morgan Sports Law, Ben Cisneros. Hello, Ben.
0: Hi, guys. Thanks very much for having me on.
1: Oh no seriously we 're going to thank you because <laughs> you know to say the heavy lifting 's going to be done by one part of the podcast tonight is probably is probably too much to say
2: yeah
0: i 'll get ready for my for my monologue then <laughs>
1: well, yeah, it'd make a difference between one be we, of us too, probably, a it, of so. change, yeah so thanks for getting to do this and and hopefully you can bring some enlightenment to all of this because. I mean, where are we up to, I suppose, Josh? We can start with saying where we think we're up to, and Ben Fuck can go, whoa, me. whoa, whoa, lads, well, hang on. No, that's not where <laughs> we're up to, but, uh, but let's let's make it start. Where are we up to? Lots of people in a, in a case, effectively.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the thing that we have been banging on about on this podcast for, you know, basically since it started, which was, you know, inevitably somebody was going to want some semblance of legal satisfaction for things that they believed that they were not told about in their playing career regarding long-term brain injuries etc and it's amazing how quickly it's happened really isn't it like a couple of weeks ago nobody seemed to be really that bothered and now all of a sudden everybody is very 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 bothered
1: and it was quite like it was there was obviously a, co- a coordinated PR Plan oh, hugely! with this, yeah, yeah. wasn't there? That it all suddenly came out. Did, ben, do we know why now? In, in 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 any particular reason? Is there some you know change in law or the time is ripe or people are just obviously really ill and need the money? I d I don't know. Yeah, I,
0: I think it's probably the latter. I think that you know these players have clearly received their diagnoses relatively recently. Um, and so they've probably just just thought that they'd better start taking action sooner rather than later. Um Legally speaking, there's there's things called limitation periods, which basically put a time limit um, on the amount of time you have to bring a claim. Once you once you realise that you you know once you realise that you've been you you suffered harm, you have three years in in England and Wales to bring your claim. So obviously that that will have had a bearing, but other than that, I, I think it's probably just the fact that players have have realised that they they have have these conditions uh, and therefore you know potentially ha- have a legal claim.
1: And is it, is the word class action the right term to use, or is that an American thing? I never quite understand. Yeah, that, it. that,
0: it's an Americanism, really. Um, in this country, it would be more accurate to describe it as group litigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this stage, it's it's not in the courts yet. We're we're sort of quite early early stages. But potentially, you know, if it reaches the court, then it, it's going to be a group litigation whereby multiple claims are essentially brought together. They're managed together. Um, in one court class actions are a bit different in the us um, and that's why i think you know we, we all need to be careful about the comparisons that are drawn between this case and the nfl case because mm. over there class actions essentially work on in an opt-out system so you know cl- claims abroad and then if, if if you fall into the category of people that might be affected you essentially are part of it unless you unless you opt out whereas oh, no, okay. in, in this in this country um it's sort of the opposite certainly that's mm. the main way of doing things it's the opposite where you you have to you know actively bring a claim to be in with the chance of getting compensation
2: could this slightly off tangent then but like given that vibe of you know you kind of have to be out you have to be in rather than you have to be out yeah is the main sort of thrust of what these you know the the various lawyers involved are likely to be doing at the moment is casting the net extremely wide in the hope of getting in as many players as possible because presumably kind of they they will want a as many players involved as possible but also i guess kind of you want to get everybody into the first one otherwise you're in a sort of weird kind of ppe claims situation potentially
0: (laughs) yeah yeah potentially that's a good point um i mean there's certain rules on on what solicitors can and cannot do to you know, to drum up clients, essentially. Mm. Um, so you know, you're not you're not supposed to reach out to to specific individuals and be like, oh, d- you know, I think you have a claim. Let me represent you. You know, that that sort of oh, thing. So you is, can't get not... a
1: bus like when Better Call Saul. Well, th- th- <laughs> th- you know... the old people <laughs> we get someone on the bus and accidentally makes it break down and says, oh, why you're on here?
0: you you can you can certainly advertise but there's a limit my my point my point was that there's there's limits to what you can do but but you're right you're right they'll they'll want to you know for various different reasons they'll they'll want to have as many players on board as possible although um it's worth saying that you know under the under the sort of group litigation scheme that we have have in this country it's it's possible that you know certain test cases as as i think they've been referred to in the press could potentially be, be heard before others
1: so would that be individuals then, within within the group litigation, would step out and become an individual test case?
0: Yeah, I mean they'd still be part of the group, but, but right. certain issues could be determined, you know, based based on one one particular case. It really depends on, I suppose, how similar factually each of the cases are. Um, you know, if if each of their claims are virtually identical, then you know, the court might be able to determine them based on one or two test cases. Whereas if, if they're all slightly different, then various different elements might need to be, to be heard separately.
1: Yeah, I, mm. am, I am not a lawyer, but I have had some experience of the law in my real job. And I've been in court mm. a few times on cases, mostly under the uh, adult social care stuff. Uh, for example, the mental capacity at 2005 and stuff like that. And in those yeah. cases, every time I, I don't expect you to know about this, Ben. You may very well do. You, but obviously, the judges when you read judgments and stuff often talk about the, the concrete elements and situations of a case, which can't really be. You know, they set some precedent, but it's very hard to to read across completely. Your point yeah. about how similar cases are. I mean, there's a concrete element in these all of these cases. They all played rugby, and none of them are now very well. But yeah. is it more i imagine just to be clear then how much would they be looking for specificity between in that
0: i mean it really depends on on the way the cases are argued and and the way they're defended but if i if i give you an example let let's say that one of the players has has gone through their career with some concussions sort of sporadically throughout they've retired at the end um you know so let's say they played for 10 years um and then subsequently they've developed these symptoms so that's mm-hmm. sort of your standard case where there's nothing out of the ordinary so to speak you could have another case where you've had um, a player who has as well as going through his rugby career has um, maybe a particular family history of of dementia Mm. maybe was in a severe car accident where they also suffered a head injury Um, all these sorts of things which could slightly um, you know affect who is liable and, and to what extent so that's just an example of, of ways that cases could differ and why they might might not all neatly fall under the, the same umbrella.
1: So talking about things finding differently, I'm, I'm just trying to explore really how the mechanics of this move forward because we can all get have an opinion about the issues, can't we? But I'm interested in the kind mm. of mechanics of it really because I'm interested in legislation and jurisdictions, I suppose, because there's a lot of names in this. And Carl, I think Josh, you said Carl Heyman's come out with being part of a claim. Is that in France? I, and I a don't, whole that's the thing. It's, I can't remember. It it's
2: almost like I was saying at the start. It's like all it's taken is for this first thing to appear, and then we've got talk of it happening in France. We've got so, talk of it happening in New Zealand. You know. So, but
1: this group litigation, Ben, is specifically in the England and Wales jurisdiction, is it or That's
2: that's,
0: that's what it seems to be. I mean, ultimately, I've, I'm only going off the the media reports yeah. as, as much as you guys are. But w- what I understand to be the case is that these this group of players are suing the RFU, the WRU and World Rugby in the English courts. Um and that would presumably be under the law of England and Wales. So so the jurisdiction would, would be England. Mm. Like like you say, that there are, you know, there is the possibility that there might be claims in other jurisdictions. Jurisdiction certainly in in Europe is tends to be determined on on either where the sort of wrongful action occurred the wrongful act occurred or, or, where the damage occurred. So in, in this case, let's say you, you played in England and you now live in England. The fact that you're suffering in England means both the the tort, as we call it, the wrongful act occurred in England and your damage occurs in England. If you'd played your whole career in France, mm. then the action could have occurred in France, the wrongful act could have occurred in, in in France, but if you now live in the UK, for example, maybe your damage is accrued over here. So you could potentially have jurisdiction here. Equally there could be jurisdiction in the French courts and it could get very messy. Um, so there's certainly potential for claims to be brought in other jurisdictions
1: and you can't join
0: jurisdictions. Is that right? (laughs) Um, if, if Um, it was (laughs) very complicated, but you know, in, in theory, if, if you, if you could either bring a court in a claim in, in the French courts or the English courts you know, you, and there was already this action going on in English courts, you could probably join the English accent action. Right. But, but, but if, <laughs> that there might then be an argument about whether you should have brought it in France. So it could get very complicated. So I suppose the,
1: I suppose the question I'm trying to say is, we could get to a situation where there's multiple group litigations running in multiple jurisdictions.
0: Yeah. Potentially. Well, we potentially. Don't know, but potentially. That, that's, that,
1: that's potentially. Yeah. And that's more likely than it all being joined in one case in the English court for somebody <laughs> it,
0: who plays it, in New Zealand. It's possible, yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. Well, is that we'll also that
2: the reason then. I'm guessing you mentioned that it was kind of England and Wales law I'm guessing that's why we've heard, had some reports that Scottish players are ready to join but presumably that would come under Scottish law if they played the bulk of their career in Scotland which yeah, I and know if is if, slightly different to England and Wales. If they're now then.
0: suffering their their sort of harm, their damage in scotland then then yeah you right. would imagine that it would probably be dealt with under under scots law in, in mm. the scottish courts but again these issues can be quite complicated and then there might be ways in which they try and join but but mm. um that would certainly be the starting position yeah
1: so that kind of deals with jurisdiction so as and i mean i know you, you know you're not a lawyer on this case anything ben but we're trying to work out so what legislation or areas of law are the challenges actually brought under is it <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, so the area of law is what we call the law of negligence, so m- most, you know, the law of negligence is developed through the common law, it's not sort of a piece of legislation as such, although there are various bits of legislation here and there which might be relevant, but predominantly we're dealing with sort of traditional English common law, which is the, the law that's developed through the courts, um, and so that's, that's where the claim is being brought, uh, under the law of negligence. Okay.
1: And, and is is it is it traditionally easy to win cases under this kind of legislation?
0: I mean, well, so, so it's it's not legislation. Just, just because okay, it's, yeah. it's, it's just it's just sort of court-made, judge-made law. And I know um, that's yeah, a, for, for, for a lot of people. I suppose who, you know, if you haven't studied law, it's probably quite a, a strange idea that the law has just been made by the judges. I guess, but but that is ultimately how how the English legal system right. has been built. Um, so, I mean, it's neither easy nor hard. It all depends on the facts of your case. Right. You know, if, if, if you have a car accident and someone drives into the side of you, um, it's probably going to be quite easy to win if they weren't looking where they were going. But in a case like this, it might not be so straightforward. But, but essentially, what you have to do in, in a claim in negligence is you have to show that the defendant, so the person you're suing, owed you a duty of care. So a duty to take reasonable care, essentially. Then you have to prove that they breached that duty. In other words, they were negligent. Then you have to show that their negligence caused you to suffer some loss. So in, in this case to sort of simplify it, you'd be saying, well, world rugby owed me a duty of care as a player, their failure to deal with concussion and head, head injuries adequately caused me to suffer, um, you know, dementia and CTE essentially.
1: So. Yeah, I use a, I use the term legislation erroneously there when you told me not to, but, I did, but just to be clear, to my understanding is: for example, <laughs> if you, I'm just going back to stuff I understand. So under the Mental Health Act, yeah, which is a, an act of legislation, act of primary legislation, mm-hmm. you can be detained under Section Three mm-hmm. in a mental health hospital, and if you don't follow the procedure that's laid out in law under Section Three, you're in breach of that section. And there's potentially damages to people, or whatever, mm-hmm. but that's a, in a way a, a procedural sort of issue. I'm using like legal, legal terms amount. I'd be quite right with them, <laughs> but effectively, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You I know can you say mean. actually, there's these th- these sections of this law you've not followed them, and actually you've, that that's a problem. But this one, it, there's no there's no um um health and safety at work act that people are pointing to here So you've breached Article mm-hmm. Seven Five and Two of that.
0: I mean, there is obviously health and safety legislation in this country and that would apply to employers. So you know, there could be an argument that that was relevant to claims against clubs, but, but equally, you know, whether that would apply here, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mm. think the main claim is just simply in the tort of negligence, where, where you still have these sort of distinct hurdles to get over these distinct steps to go through. They're not, they're not laid out in legislation, but, you know, Lawyers, <laughs> lawyers know what they are. Um, and there's <laughs> okay. certain things you have to prove in order to establish your claim. And that's very well established in, 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 uh, you know, in, in English law. So, like I said, you've got to right. prove there was a duty, that they breached the duty, and that they caused you loss, essentially. So or caused you harm, I should say. Right,
1: yeah. So, is the kind, what's the kind of thinking abroad among legal people who think in this field around how strong a case it is is there any kind have you got any kind of feeling of of that
0: yeah i mean i think you know it would be wrong to say that it's it's an easy case it's an easy win um you know i think i think that it looks to me like like there's a case there and that's you know that's not to say there won't be hurdles you know there Mm. there most definitely there will be um but certainly that there is you know it's not it's not a completely uh, inarguable case. It, it seems like it, it could go somewhere.
1: Because I'm the, I've made the point. Sorry, Josh, go ahead.
2: I was going to say, like, obviously, like, there's been various kind of things that are obviously, you know, kind of being seeded in the press about kind of stuff that people knew a very long time ago, whether it's, you know, the 80s, the 70s, or 10 years ago about, you know, claiming that, this kind of knowledge was out there, but like mm. even somebody, a, a layman like me, was aware of rumblings of CTE about a decade ago. Mm. And why do you, like, from a legal point of view, why would World Rugby have waited as long as they did to make the changes that we've seen in the last three or four years, given what was going on? It's particularly with the US. I mean, ultimately, this
0: ultimately this will be one of the key questions in the case. You know, when I sort of said set, set about the various stages, the various elements that have to be proved, this is to do with the, the question of whether they breached their duty of care, whether they were negligent. And key to that question will be, well, what did they know or what should they have known? Mm. Um, and therefore, what should they have done to protect players? Um, so this question of knowledge or, or you know, what they should have known if they'd, if they'd, uh, done the, taken reasonable steps to, to, you know, to, 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 research it and to look into it, that that is going to be, that's going to be really important. And it's something that I've been doing a bit of looking into for an article I'm working on, um, and you know, the idea that repetitive head injuries can cause long-term brain damage essentially has been around since the 1920s. Um, wow. there was an article in, in 1928. Um, which talked about punch drunk syndrome, um, sort of mm. described um, in boxes, the symptoms that are now associated with um, essentially dementia and CTE. Mm. Um, so although, you know, they hadn't studied people's brains as such yet, there were sort of observations um, that, that repeated blows to the head were not a good thing. Um, and then obviously the science has then gone from there um there's a you know there's, there's in, in the medical literature there's references to dementia pugilistica uh, which essentially mm. means dementia of the of the boxer and then in in 1949 i think it was um the term cte chronic traumatic en- and oh yeah of <laughs> yeah. a it's mouthful that a one um, it's a horrible one isn't that it? was that was first <laughs> first used in, in 1949 and then there was a case you know, formally identified in, in 1954. So there has been understanding of this um, condition for for a long, a long time. Obviously, the the extent of that understanding has developed quite considerably, and particularly in the last, I suppose, the last two decades, it's really come on. Um, but the suggestions have been have been there for a while, and I suppose part of the question will be, well, should more have been done to to look into that? Um, in particular, there, there was an article in one of the, you know, the leading medical journals in 1975 about the cumulative effects of concussion. And I think this was something that led to changes in boxing about stand down periods, et cetera. And, and that was perhaps the basis for rugby's first stand down periods. But this just goes to show that, you know, there was this this um, knowledge that the cumulative, that, you know, that concussions could build up um, and then. Interestingly, there's an article from um, 2001, which actually was entitled Concussion in Rugby, the Hidden Epidemic. And they essentially warned that there was probably mass underreporting of concussion, largely um, because of the, the long stand down period. I think it was a three week period that, you know, you had to be out of the game if you had a concussion. And And they're just for a start, because of the early days of professionalism, there wasn't the same degree of surveillance of players that there are is now, mm. but also, I think there was a the suggestion that players wouldn't want to tell people they had had a concussion mm. because it would mean they'd be out of the game for three weeks, which is obviously could mean they'd miss quite a number of matches so that was in two thousand and one there was a suggestion that perhaps things weren't quite right. Of course, the main shift that we've seen to about head injuries in in rugby probably started around 2011 2012 I think that was when the um that was when the, f- the sort of first pitch side assessments were introduced so that's 10, ten years after that previous article now I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that that's that's definitive by any means mm. but but it's just I'm just sort of trying to, to give a flavor of the sort of points that we made by the players is that there was a certain degree of knowledge um and, and then actually in, in 2011 so this, that's now almost a decade ago from, from now There was an article which suggested that, you know, one of the most straightforward ways of reducing the risks of, uh, of concussion and the long-term risks associated with it was to reduce contact in training. So that, that suggestion has been around for quite a while. The NFL have, you know, they they introduced limits on training around that time, I believe. Mm. But that's something we haven't really, we certainly haven't seen it formally in rugby. So there's, there's plenty of questions I think that will be asked of governing bodies, in terms of their knowledge, uh, and also in in terms of the research they should have conducted, uh, and the actions they should have taken in response to the data that was out there.
1: Because I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Because a number of people, when you you know, when you're discussing this on Twitter, which is obviously not you know a group <laughs> litigation scenario, but um, yeah. really, do you say <laughs> it feels like it sometimes? Fucking <laughs> feels like, like <laughs> the, 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 um, one, the. A lot of people say. Ha- you can't apply the knowledge that we've got now retrospectively. You can't do things yeah. on hindsight. And Jim yeah. Hamilton basically just had that one quote, we signed up. You know. Um, yeah. And I suppose there's a couple of questions in that. I think you've already addressed some of it, which is, there's a, there was a hell of a lot of stuff out there. And the question, I think, like you said, will be put, won't it? Yeah, but as soon as you knew that, why didn't you appoint a commission to deal with it? Or why didn't you appoint a... Why didn't, you, why didn't the RFU have a senior medical officer who, and that was part of their job description and Imagine all those kind of yeah. questions. Will be uh,
2: how much of it is also to do with kind of, I guess the the fact that the game was amateur until you know nineteen ninety six ish. does that yeah. affect
1: it, Ben?
0: Yeah, it it, it it would, I think. So so there's, so there's various things there. So with, with taking the the professional amateur point, that that would go towards the question of what what they the governing bodies could reasonably have been expected to do. So you know, if if these governing bodies were you know they had fewer resources because the game wasn't professional and and certainly if, if the clubs get brought into it, that will be particularly relevant. I mean, when you they, see they those
1: RFU go- balls from
0: the 1980s, they look fucking skint, <laughs> to be fair. I do know, they definitely have no money yeah. to spend on this, but go on. Certainly. So my point is that if the game wasn't quite so professional, then they might not be held to such high standards. Of course. You know, yeah. the standards of today would, would be very different. Because, because you know, for a start, the science has evolved, but also because the, the, the game has greater resources. Although I appreciate that this isn't the best time to be talking about the game's yeah, great resources.
2: But still, comparatively, compared comparatively, to a lot of sports, yeah. you know, rugby yeah. is an extremely rich, extremely well-funded sport. Yeah. You know, so, it, it might be fucking broke, but it still yeah. has a lot more resources than fucking squash. Or whatever. Yeah, for, sure, you know. for sure. I was going
1: to say yeah. squash as well. Why, do, why does my brain got so a so squash? So
0: Weird.
2: <laughs> well, one of the other things
0: I was just going to say was that the, you know, the RFU have done injury surveillance since the early 2000s. So you know, it's not like they've neglected these issues entirely. I think that's important to say for, for, for balance. There's a report come but, out today, hasn't there? About injury Is
1: that? Yeah, just literally today, their concussion uh, report come out. Okay. Well, Long story be... short, two, they reckon about two concussions per club per game really in the last 12 months is what
0: they're looking at but that's quite a lot isn't it yeah the, the the other thing is that um you know the data on concussions obviously it's much more it's much more developed in the last 20 years but there was data to to suggest that concussion was was you know quite significant in rugby from from the 80s there was an article i think someone was sharing it on twitter the other day Um, from rugby school where they talk about concussion in schoolboys, and of course that's not the same as concussion in in adults etc but I think it you know serves to demonstrate that you know people were aware back then that concussion was a frequent injury in rugby I mean ultimately Bill Bowman the chairman of of World Rugby retired because of the effects of concussion because he'd had too many concussions so I think it would be wrong to say you know we just didn't know that, that concussion was a thing in the 1980s. Um, it clearly was, and it was known to be an issue. I think the more difficult question is whether the long-term neurodegenerative effects of concussion were known. And and even now, in 2020, the science is not universally accepted yeah. that repeated head injuries cause CTE. Um, there's, well, there's a growing body of opinion that suggests it is, and I think it's, it's now accepted that there's... An association between the two but certainly there are still um groups of scientists that would say there's not a cause and effect relationship
1: i think the issue but and again cte grabs the headlines because you know a film with will smith in was made about it i imagine and it's yeah. because america and all that but i was reading dr willie stewart's feed on twitter who's a who, yeah. who, who looks at this and he was. They've written a paper recently that actually, if you leave CTU aside, there's a much higher prevalence of Parkinson's, much higher prevalence of those types of, of mm. neuro. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm using terms I don't understand, but you know, neuro conditions yeah. in this in these cohorts of people i.e. rugby players and yeah. footballers actually.
0: I um, haven't I haven't come across that paper, but I mean that's something that was also identified in boxers and has been identified in boxers for years. Um, is, is you know, the suggestion that that comes along with the the, the dementia so, side of it?
1: Yeah, it's understandable that the the people bringing the case have brought out you know cynically the most headline worthy people because, and the reason why they're most headline worthy because they're the most effective. Those well, being di- have got
2: the headlines. Yeah, and yeah, you know, and those, yeah quite and those yeah.
1: being I, I, that sound like they were being more cynical, but actually saying I'm 42 and I've got early onset dementia because I, because I got my head smashed in playing rugby is what I would lead with as well. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? But that's what people are talking about now. But actually, if you layer it underneath, it looks like there's far more conditions that, that, that we're looking yeah, at. Yeah,
2: it's almost like they, use, they are obviously using sort of extreme examples like Steve Thompson, like Alex Popham. Yeah. You know who well, I, I are th- obviously th- not normal inverted commas but I th- within I think the riders of rugby, but yeah,
0: that that helps though to to try and establish their case that there is a link mm. because it's incredibly unusual for for men of their age to to be suffering from these conditions. So mm. that in itself would, although it's not definitive, um, it would imply that there's a link. Would it would it not um, in the absence of any other things that have happened in their lives, perhaps which which could have brought on on this disease or condition
1: and does there have to be is there a level of evidence to even bring a case like this Ben?
0: I mean to bring a case I mean you, you wouldn't you wouldn't start a, a claim in court if you didn't think you had a reasonable chance of winning simply because of the cost that it, it would involve but so so to, to bring the case in the first place there's not a formal threshold but right. you know you, you wouldn't bring it unless you thought you had a you had a shot um, in terms of the proof when it comes to trial then yes there's a there's a standard of proof um you know you have to prove on the balance of probabilities that your condition was, was caused or that they breached the duty of care Th- that's the standard for things um, whenever you have to prove them it is the balance of probabilities which essentially means it's more than 50% likely
2: at AIB we don't make technology for you to bank. We make it for you to live. Just watch. So you can apply and get a loan through your AIB app or online.
0: Knock, out, like no
2: All from the comfort of home. Banking to fit the way you live. AIB. We back doing. Lender criteria, terms and conditions apply. Over 18s only, subject to approval. Security may be required. Allied at Irish Banks, PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.
0: When we talk about quitting smoking, when my first child was born, for them, obviously money. We talk about why so much health for myself, my family. I'm a mom. It becomes part of the habit. The smell of my clothes. I just need to this cough. You've already talked about why you want to quit, so let's start talking about how. If you stop smoking for 28 days, you're five times more likely to quit for good. For tips, tools, and real support, visit quit.ie or free phone 1 800 201 203, and make the next stop your last stop. From the
1: Just sorry, I digress like there because I was, I was going to come back to the points we were making about the players. So, again, going back to that, we signed up thing, and a number of players mm. have made the point that we knew what we get ourselves into, and a few people have made the point about where does where does individual responsibility lie? Because all the information you talked about before, Ben, yeah, was in the public domain, and, and anybody who enters into a rugby field and takes up a contract to play, especially in the professional area era. Takes up a contract to play the game, knows the risks. How does law view things like that, and particularly how coercive an employment contract is?
0: I mean, I think it's important to say that just because these things were were out there doesn't necessarily mean they were. Firstly, they weren't necessarily in the public domain. They right. they were in the sort of the medical literature, which you can find mm-hmm. if you go searching. Some of its some of its you know behind paywalls and in, in medical journals, and you know the 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 development of the internet means that it's it's much more readily available now Hmm. than it perhaps would have been in 2000, for example. But so, so I think it would be wrong to say that it was, do you mean that Frank
1: Cotton wasn't reading the Lancet
0: regularly (laughs) or anything like that? (laughs) That's, that's exactly what I mean. Um, (laughs) so, so I think it would be wrong to say, you know, it was in the public domain. They should have known, I think, you know, The question of where the responsibility on players lies—I don't think it would go that far. I don't think you could expect players to be reading medical literature before they decide whether they're going to play the game or not. I think that's that's not reasonable. Uh, Whereas the duty on, on on the on the governing bodies is higher, such that sorry, it's more onerous, such that they could reasonably. Perhaps be expected to to look into these things, given that they have the overall regulatory authority for these sports. You know that brings with it certain responsibilities. One of which perhaps is delving into the medical literature. I don't think you could say that's the same for players. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Jim Hamilton tweet was was quite an interesting one because you know I'm surprised that there's players that take that view, because to me, and I think this is the position that the law takes. If you didn't know something. Um, was a risk, then you can't have consented to it mm. you know consent is is only valid if it's informed and the fact that you know there wasn't a widespread understanding or or, or at least players weren't told that playing rugby could lead to long term neurodegenerative conditions tells me that they didn't sign up for that they, they didn 't know what they were signing up to and i I'm surprised that players would suggest the opposite and you know, that that suggestion would certainly, um, you know, not do very well in court. That's just
2: so much of this and so much of the reaction, it feels like, has come more from a sort of knee-jerk sense of kind of desire to protect the sport. I I agree. They're obviously employed by and love, you know. And I think everybody, you know, everybody who loves rugby feels that way as well. We don't, you know, nobody wants rugby to end and no, of some of the stuff that's come out is is very scary and you don't see there's not a lot and so you can understand I guess why why people like hamilton and good and the usual suspects are sort of you know it's it's a it's a defensive reaction i guess yeah, in, in, yeah in and, the, an,
0: and an emotional one at the end of the day yeah
2: and you do, and you don't want to admit to yourself, I guess, that you, you've you been putting yourself and your, your future life livelihood and life and quality of existence at risk doing this thing that you enjoy so much. Mm. I think There's it's, also
1: the fact they say actively, you know, let's not beat around the bush. It was continued to be, I didn't play rugby professionally, um, but it was kind of continued to be encouraged and it was part of the warrior image of the game that you get a bang on the head and you carry on. And nobody's going to be overly concerned about stopping you until certain things came in and it started to be taken more seriously, as you mentioned, Ben, in the last decade. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's
0: exactly the problem, though, because what the players will be arguing, the players that are bringing the, the claims, is that you know that was that shouldn't have happened. That there should have been a completely different culture around concussion. You know, it shouldn't have taken until until the last decade for this awareness to have come in and, and for governing bodies, clubs to have started taking this um, really seriously, that, that's all going to be part of the case.
2: Mm. Why did it cost the NFL a billion dollars before rugby started giving a fuck? Is the kind of... <laughs>
1: but if you look at the NFL, though, I think the billion dollars is, as, as, a, as a chunk of its operating budget... Is a small amount of money to yeah, make that quite, go you know, away actually, forever. Nobody's getting a billion yeah. dollars, are they? And that's <laughs> but, the, yeah. that's
2: the other thing that, obviously, it never made it to trial... In yeah. America, yeah, well, that's like interesting. The, N- question. the NFL, yeah. the, NFL saw, the NFL saw enough from what they saw of the science and the papers, and you know the spon- the science that they were ended up sponsoring in the end could you know that for years and years was kind of trying to downplay it. In the end, it couldn't even do that. Yeah,
0: sorry, Ben. I was just going to say there's a few things to pick out of of that, and you made some really good points. So the NFL case is is different for a number of reasons. Firstly, I, I said about the class action system at the beginning mm. that's that's quite different secondly damages compensation in the US tends to be quite a bit higher than in in England and Wales so you know the idea that you might get a billion a billion pounds <laughs> is quite fanciful um obviously well, it, doesn't it would all have a billion pounds <laughs> well there, there is that yeah. Nigel uh, Ray does Nigel
2: Ray does, yeah <laughs> Bruce craig's got it down the back of the sofa but
0: Obviously Obviously, it would all depend on the number of players that that end up having claims, et cetera, but you know I would not expect it to, to get really. that high. That's not to say it couldn't be the hundred in the hundreds of millions of pounds that's that's quite foreseeable if if, if they're successful yes yeah. um, but but the scale is important <laughs> there's an important difference there um, then um, thirdly there's the the idea that the NFL either knew or, or they had seen signs that there was Um, danger of CTE and concussion but they suppressed them or they denied they denied the links and they tried to cover it up either you know by putting pressure in certain places etc and that was quite an important feature of that case Mm. I don't think that's what we're talking about here and it would be very surprising if that was the case Um, so that obviously would have factored into the question of of damages and, and also the question of the settlement and then like you say Josh. Um, the, the case did never go to trial. There, there was a settlement under which the NFL essentially agreed to create a fund for former players who were suffering from various neurological conditions that were related to football. Um, and also they you know, put some money aside to fund further research. But under that settlement, the NFL never admitted liability either. So mm-hmm. they, they, they put aside the money, which, as, as Lee says, is a very small percentage of their turnover – um, and they never admitted liability. So, again, it, you just got to be people have got to be careful when they draw comparisons to the NFL.
2: That that point, that, that, go on, Josh. Well, that sort of makes me, th- as you say, kind of they never had to admit liability because they can afford to not admit liability because a billion dollars is nothing to them. Hmm. As you, if we're talking about damages in the hundreds of millions. Hell, even in the tens of millions. Rugby can't afford that right now. Like, do you think that that makes it more likely that this is going to go to court, in, as opposed to getting something? Because nobody I really mean, wants rugby. Certainly doesn't want this to go to court, given the dam- yeah. like the reputational damage that it could potentially. You think the RFU's do, lawyers
1: guessing. are going to settle this thing and settle it now as soon as possible, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but it,
0: it depends which way where you look at it. Because on one hand, Josh, you're saying that you know they they want to defend the case so they don't have to pay anything. So they, if they can try and argue the case isn't strong enough, um, they might see that as one option. Equally, you've got to bear in mind that doing that will cost them an arm and a leg. It's very expensive. Yeah. Players um, <laughs> <always> are expensive. <laughs> but on the other yeah. side, they, they might try and settle it for less than it could be worth in court, because if mm-hmm. they lose they claim that the claim, sorry, the damages could be quite high. You know, given that these players are, let's just assume they're all around in their, their early forties, that means that they're potentially you know, they've got a lot of their life ahead of them. Um, they've got time when they might need to go into care. They're going to have medical expenses. Mm. They're going to need to be able to sort of get compensation for their lost earnings, cause they're not going to be able to work for, a you know, large periods of their life. Um, and of course that's, you know, gonna impact on their ability to support their families, etc. So th- their compensation individually could, could easily exceed a million pounds. So if you have a hundred, 200 players. It doesn't take very long to do the maths.
2: Christ. Yeah, I mean, and and that's without, I guess, thinking. You know, as you said, like the NFL set money apart aside to fund further research. Like, you'd find it hard to believe that, given what the players have claimed that they want, in terms of the sort of tech, the the fifteen commandments and all of that sort of stuff that came out last week, you find it hard to. Believe that they're also not going to want world rugby and the unions to sort of start investing a lot of money in investigating what it seems to be an epidemic, you know, mm. and has, mm. has has been seen to be an epidemic for sort of at least twenty years, I guess.
1: Mm. Mm. I mean, it's an interesting question because I mean, they the people bring in the action, the, the litigation. Um, did actually publish a kind of manifesto, didn't they, at one point, saying this is what we want to see. A lot of it is about reducing contacts in training, a better monitoring, a better care, and all that kind of stuff, which I suppose is then very publicly trying to get public opinion on side, say, well, all that seems very reasonable to me. Why the hell would you want to go to court over that? And and, and so on and so forth. I don't know if that's mm. the strategy, but it seems to be. Yeah, no, it, it
0: seems, seems to be factoring in. I think I think, you know, a settlement, I think one of you mentioned it, could be seen as a, attractive option for, for both sides of this because do the governing bodies and, and possibly the clubs as well do they want this to be dragged through the courts publicly that would be potentially embarrassing and, and it would obviously just attract a whole load of negative publicity for the sport and then on the other side do do the players want to take it to court when there, there is a risk of them not succeeding you know there's always a risk of that um and also if if they're going to put themselves um in in in, on trial then their lives are going to be open to examination as well and i think you know it's been a feature of some of the claims under the nfl settlement that you know ultimately they they look into what what things players have done outside of rugby, and and,
1: and you know it might be because you'd... by the fact you smashed fourteen kilograms of cocaine up your nose in two thousand and seven. Well, <laughs> for well a
2: lot of people have you know. A lot of people brought up as soon as the sort of Thompson thing came up. You know, it didn't take long for people to point out that he you know was medically advised to retire because of a neck injury, and then um, well, and then carried on. That that's and, a, that. Yeah, that's another issue. Yeah, that,
0: that, that that might be a problem for claims. Is if players were advised to retire, and ignored it, then mm. when we when we spoke about the players consenting to the risks, that might become quite significant. It might be seen that that exactly, sort of yeah. breaks what we'd say it legally breaks the chain of causation between the negligence and the injury, because at that point, you know. You have intervened, and, and you've continued to subject yourself to the risks, which at that point you, you realised were significant. That's that's mm. a
2: poss- a possibility.
0: How much? The, uh, sorry, go on.
2: Gosh. No, no, carry on. Man.
1: I was just going to ask the kind of because I'm interested. My grandad was a miner, and he got paid out for dust in his lungs, you know. And so did mm, my, other. my other same. My other granddad got paid out, and he was already dead, and his wife got all his money, um, which was um, anyway. So. But you know, there's asbestos, isn't the Vibration, white finger. We could go on and on and on about these industrial injury settlements. Is this something? Was that one? Was that under the same, not legislation, but the same duty of care, breach of duty, so, cause so, of loss as this? And I is, mean, it, is it, do you it, read it across?
0: The same principles are relevant to all these sorts of issues. Specifically, that there is the sort of the government's own industrial injuries disablement benefit scheme. So that's sort of a, a state-organised compensation right. scheme for certain types of industrial disease. So if, mm. if your disease is on the list, essentially, then, then you might be able to get some compensation from the government. Right. Um, the asbestos claims, you know, there's been lots of those as well. That's, yeah, that, that's under the sort of same general principles of people suing and, and trying to get compensation. Does it complicate matters? Would, well, that's interesting if
1: the, you've received money through sport england or via the government does that does that bring in a,
0: a different dimension to this do you mean if if the governing bodies have
1: yeah so if the sport's been funded by government does then that become a different thing or to, or does it play into a slightly different thing can you start making arguments then that and then i, th- that's I a think bigger, perhaps, it's a, it's a bigger result well of
0: yeah perhaps money, isn't, isn't it? it perhaps it would be relevant to the question of what 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 was reasonable for them to have done because if you know if if they're backed by you know essentially the government then yeah that they're going to have more resources and and that there is the funding available i suppose would be the argument whereas if it was an entirely private body that was mm-hmm. you know trying to scrape funds together from its members then yeah that then like like we said the expectation the legal expectation on them would would probably be less so
1: deep the smoking gun thing, right? I mean, obviously, because there's always one in legal films, isn't there? Which are always very yeah. realistic, aren't they? But I watched, um, I watched Dark Waters <laughs> recently, which was a great watch, in, in how quite oblique it was, even though it was essentially a good news story. Um, about um, I know you've seen that one, you two. Which is about um, DuPont the, in DuPont one, Kentucky, yeah. where there was not so much a smoking gun, but 57 boxes of reports which said, this is poisoning everybody. And DuPont <laughs> just ignored it. And, that, was, and that, that went on for years and it took ages to pay out. But obviously there were boxes of stuff saying, yeah, you knew, let's stop messing around. Yeah. Um, you've already made some point, you've, made, you've given some narrative, Ben, around stuff that was out there. But would a smoking gun be something like an RFU commissioned report in, in 1999
0: or something? Is it as simple as that? I mean, th- theoretically, if, if there was some document that, that showed that the governing bodies were explicitly warned um, about the long term dangers of concussion and and what they should do to to address them you know if, if they received that communication and, and then they ignored it or they covered that up, I suppose that that would be probably as close to a smoking gun as you would get um, like, like I said earlier I, I doubt that it's there is something like that I, yeah. I might be wrong, I might be wrong, but um What's the legal uh, I, I term? Is
1: it discovery or disclosure when you
0: do yeah, these things? Dis- yeah, disclosure. Action? Discovery in the US. Disclosure right. over here. Um, so, exactly, so, so, so the
1: people bringing the action, the the litigation, can say, "I want all your documents that are." Yeah, related. they
0: you have you have to disclose every, everything, yeah. whether it's um, unless it's sort of covered by legal privilege, etc. You have to disclose everything that's sort of in favor and against your case. And are these? So they and could these, discover that
1: if it goes to court. Are all these? This, these aren't closed courts, so are they? Like the court protection or anything? These are completely open.
0: Um, yeah, it would be public. Yeah, it would, the, the proceedings would be public. I, I, I don't think you'd be able to access the uh, the documents, but, no, but um, the, the, they the may...
1: arguments about them would
0: be public. And yeah, so the, on. the press would be able to attend the hearings. Yeah.
1: Okay, um, so. Have you got any kind of feeling, Ben? You talk to lawyers. Is there any? And you're in a sports law company. Is there any kind of feeling abroad about how this is going to go? Or I mean, obviously, you can't predict what a court's going to say.
0: But I mean, you know, ultimately, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say which way I, th- I think it would okay. go. Um, I think, like I said at, at the outset, the, the players have a case. There's not that's not to say there, there won't be obstacles. Um, it's 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 by no means a clear cut case. But but. You know, only time will tell where it'll go. I think, as we mentioned, a settlement may well be what both sides are gunning for because players might be able to to get more out of that. They might be able to persuade the governing body, sort of morally, that that they should do something for these players, whether or not the uh. the, le- the legal case is is you know watertight. Given that these players have you know get, potentially given their given their brains and given their lives to the sport they might they might be able to persuade the governing bodies that the, the moral duty is a significant one and, and by keeping it out of court maybe they'll be able to come to some sort of arrangement where players in the future should they be suffering um would be able to would be able to um get get some help but um no it's there's a long way to go that's that's the other important point to make is that right. only I think it was last week that there was it was reported that the letter of claim got sent and that's basically the letter you have to send before you even um, you know, file things at court. So it's very early days. It, it may well never end up in court. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's going to, to dra- drag on for a while yet. That's if what it does can go say. to
1: court and everyone's determined to fight it, is there is a kind of ballpark on when the first hearing would be or anything like that?
0: Or? I mean, it would be. I would imagine it would not be for, for a while yet. It's, it's certainly not the sort of thing that's going to happen in, in, in the next few months. Yeah, It's, it's likely to be a, a long number of months, if not over a year before before it would uh, get to that stage. Last question on settlement from me.
1: Because if you look at the NFL one, as you just talked about, there was a no liability thing there. But they've obviously agreed to do certain things <coughs> and pay out some money and set up certain things. Does that mean there could be and if that's the way it goes you imagine any settlement of involves no admission of liability mm. as a general requirement you would think does that mean that you, you could litigate it again
0: in the future it would depend on the, the terms of the settlement or oh, sorry um, a, se-
1: a separate group of players sorry could litigate yeah it, it would again.
0: depend on the terms of the settlement and, right. and the way it was done um, because of because of the fact we don't have the same class action system where it's opt out like i said before Mm. it may well be that you know if there's a a a settlement in the true sense of the word that might only cover the players who actually bring claims but i I think perhaps what what the players would be looking for would be something that's broader so it would settle their claims but perhaps also set aside funds to deal with future claims um that you know it would all depend on, on what what's agreed what the terms of the settlement are because i think there will be a recognition that the the players that end up in court this time will not be the only players who ever suffer CT as a result of playing Mm. rugby, because Mm. for a start, these players are all players that retired roughly 10 years ago. So if, if you take, um, you know, if if you say that it takes roughly 10 years for these symptoms to develop such that you would realize you were suffering, then, you know, there could be a whole load of, of other players that come out of the woodwork in the next 10 years. So, and after that, of course, so, um, like i say it will all depend on the terms it's it's a classic lawyer's answer it depends yeah, no of course um, yeah, 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 yeah. but but it's possible it's, it's not... possible that it, it could deal with future claims um but right. but it, it equally they might just try and settle the ones that they're being faced with now and deal with any others in the future
2: and that being the case then as you say if because it doesn't have this class action element and doesn't have this sort of going forward element necessarily like does that Mean that whatever happens with this, you know, even if they man, you know, if if they they win the rugby wins this case, or if they settle in a way that they don't admit liability, is there any way that rugby could sort of avoid taking pretty strenuous measures to try and mitigate this in future generations, knowing now now that they've ha- well have had it all laid out for them in you know in a legal suit that alleges that. You know X, Y, and Z happened, and as a result, you know they these players who played rugby suffered this neurological damage. Kind of, how can rugby? You know, rugby will presumably have to mitigate. I don't know the risks again somehow without doing something significant. This is what this is what I'm, I'm sort of getting at. It's like, how does rugby yeah. avoid even if they get through? You know, if they can not fucking end the sport through bankrupting itself through this one, how do yeah. they then, you know, carry well, on? I, I
0: think the first thing to say is that because these claims, certainly in the main, seem to re- relate to the sort of the first 10, 15 years of professionalism, you know, you you've, you do have to take account of the fact that changes have been implemented since. Yeah. So it's not like you'd be starting from scratch. Um, yeah, you so can argue it, about
1: the pace of them and, and how... Yeah, more, you it, know, yeah,
0: exactly. But they, they have acted in the last 10 years to... to you know they, they've sort of been at the forefront of changes in you know worldwide in terms of the way they've adapted the rules and enforcement to 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 to, to limit the risk. Reju- yeah, and the it's notable of how frightened
1: it is watching rugby league and football now yeah when yeah. you see how they re- they react to heavy yeah. is in there where well, you can pick apart rugby's issue about them not going far enough but they're a fucking hell of a long way away from what those
0: sports are doing yeah but anyway, exactly so, no no not at all so so as you say. Josh, you know, going going forward, if they don't make further changes, would that itself leave them open to future liability? Perhaps again, it would all depend on on, on what the science says and and what what would be reasonable for them to do. Um, and also, I think another point that we haven't mentioned is, is, you know, how far can governing bodies be expected to go, and and where does the responsibility of the clubs come in? Because mm. this thing about you know uh limitations on contact training there might reasonably be a question about whether that's something world rugby or, or the rfu should deal with or should it be something that prl you know premiership rugby as a league should be doing should should they be mm. looking into that you know i don't know the answer to that question to be honest um it's 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 a complex one and it it's you know i'm sure one that will, will come up in the lit- litigation is the scope of the duty of care You know what exactly should should the various parties have been expected to do?
2: So, from that angle, then you could be it could get to the point where you know World Rugby and the unions are going, why, why are you talking to us about this shit? This is the clubs. Absolutely, it's it's (laughs) it all starts again. We're There going not be a party in this anymore, Your Honour. Yeah, (laughs) well. you...
0: I don't. I don't think they'll be able to do that, but they could. They could feasibly, you know, there are ways of joining other parties to proceedings. So they essentially could point the finger at the clubs and and get them involved in the action, in the legal action. Um, essentially, they'd be saying, you know, we had rules in place, you didn't follow them. Um, of course, the fact that World Rugby has subsequently made changes might suggest that you know there was still a duty on them to to sort of oversee the issue of set concussion. And exactly, set the yeah. precedent. But nonetheless, there might be an argument that in that first decade of professionalism, you know, World Rugby's rules were not entirely deficient, but, you know, the, the way the clubs policed them was. Um, and yeah, it's, it's going to yeah. be, that's going to be another interesting issue.
1: You know what, I think it doesn't paint a good picture though, does it? Because your, your point, Ben, about changes have been made in the last 10 years, and of course they have, but... I also reflect on, on that big stat that came out about Alan Wynne-Jones, about how he's played 20% of Wales's international games. And I went away and mm, nerded it a bit and, and discovered that Jason Leonard had played 20% of England's into mm. that 22% by the time he retired. Mostly in a profession, mostly in a profession, well, no, maybe half. Anyway, the point I'm making is, is that they've ramped up the most intense level of competition yeah. in the last 20 years. Absolutely. Whilst reducing breaks. Absolutely. Whilst also having some noise in the background. What your point about the players have a case, but, and I'm just, you know, you would have to agree with me here, but, you know, it just doesn't paint a good pitch, can it? Because actually it's okay if you're going to say, well, we're doing some stuff to maybe assess it a bit more, but you're also making people, making people... Play, play more rugby, rugby than that they can make Absolutely. As well, but make just look play at, more rugby than ever before at the highest level.
0: Absolutely. Look at this year. The, the impact of COVID-19 has meant that we have a 51-week season. Yes. 51 weeks.
1: I know we had to pod every one of them. It was horrendous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you joke, but it, it, it's a really important point. The yeah. players, players are playing more games now than they were, you know, in, in the amateur era. And the, 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 the impact of these games on players has only got greater because of professionalism. It means that everyone's bigger, stronger, and faster, um, which means that the, the risk of injury has probably gone up and yet you're playing more games and now with with obviously the coronavirus had a massive impact and they had to look at reorganization for the financial side of the sport but but the answer was to make players play more games in less time than they ever have you know that mm-hmm. against the background of of what we're talking about about the, the 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 way that repeated head injuries and you know it's not just concussions it's subconcussions are co- you know the conditions are caused by repeated blows um increasing the number of matches um can't be a good thing no
1: well we wait and see after that's we're coming up to the hour we wait and see now uh what happens i think as you said it'll be it'll all go a bit quiet for a month or so i suppose i imagine i imagine oh, people at least, i think a, like, sorry you know i, I meant to say a number of months other than a month or so there um I imagine, I wouldn't be surprised if the people bringing the case keep having a nice press and media strategy. Though. Agreed. That seems to be what they're doing. What no, you're it right, it seems
2: to be, what, be every couple of days, which will probably stretch out, I guess, to a week. If they've got 70 of them in the hopper, why not? Do you
1: reckon you know? they're holding like a mega name for about three months in?
2: Like Martin <laughs> Johnson's coming have. out in three months Oof. or something. Who knows? That would be it, wouldn't it? Who knows? Yeah.
1: Who knows? And on that point, who knows? We've had our best. We've done our best to try and understand it. Ben, thank God you were here. Is all I. <laughs> oh, is, is all I. To say. <laughs> and the insights have been really, really helpful and interesting. Indeed. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to you, Ben, for joining us, and we'll see you. have a lovely Christmas and New Year on the backdrop indeed. of that nice, heartwarming chat we just had, <laughs> and we'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Bye bye.
2: These days, everybody wants to be green. I'm not talking about selfies with your favorite houseplant or fairweather football fans. Come on, you boys are green. I'm talking frank and honest coffee, sustainably made, supporting local jobs and communities. We are guaranteed Irish and a genuinely greener choice. Frank and honest, you can't fake great tasting coffee. Available in Centra and super value stores nationwide. Sports Social Podcast Network.